The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, it's the .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip with guests Beth Massey, Alan Griver, and Tim Hewer. Recorded live in Phoenix, Arizona, Friday, April 23rd, 2010. Carl and Richard are hitting 15 cities in three weeks, recording a new show every day. Follow them in real time online at .netrocks.com slash roadtrip. The .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip is brought to you by a handful of sponsors, including the following gold sponsor, Telerik. Deliver more than expected. Online at www.telerik.com. Preemptive Solutions, powered by Runtime Intelligence. Online at preemptive.com. And Redgate Software, ingeniously simple tools. Online at red-gate.com. Special support is being provided by the Microsoft Visual Studio team, the Windows Phone 7 team, and the Bing team, who developed the Road Trip Tracker application in Silverlight 4. And now, here's Carl and Richard interviewing Beth Massey, Alan Griver, and Tim Hewer in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Phoenix! Welcome to .NET Rocks! There are so many people here, I don't even want to guess as to how many there are. I am totally overwhelmed. We're in a stadium, and there's thousands and thousands of people here. They're all the way back to Tempe. You look good on the Jumbotron. (laughs) And we have, uh, oh my gosh, we have a, a cast of, a cast of characters here up on the stage. Uh, Alan Griver. Hey everyone. You can clap. Beth Massey. Hey, how you doing? And Tim Hewer. Tim, what's wrong with waving on a radio well, I show? Guess can, I guess you can't wave on a radio show, right? You can wave on the radio show. It just doesn't work. Yeah, that, that's not any better. Sorry about that, Brandon. You can, yeah. In fact, if you just edit out Tim's voice for the rest of this, it'll be, that'll be fine. You want a noise profile on my voice? Yeah. <laughs> so what the heck are we going to talk about with, uh, with these troublemakers? So what have you guys been doing lately? It's all about launch, right? It's all about the launch, okay. buddy. Yeah. Visual Studio 2010. Woo-hoo! We also got SharePoint and Office launch this week, too. So very exciting stuff. Are you, you guys are in town because there was a launch here yesterday, right? Yes. We were uh, down in uh, downtown Phoenix um, doing the community launch event for there. It was awesome. We had, I think, a hundred people or so came, showed up, and it was fun. When I understand talking to, to uh, Joe, that who's one of the local organizers here, that it's... That the Phoenix 
market is suffering from launch fatigue or event fatigue. Like it's been something every night this week. Yeah. I and mean, now it's Friday. So uh, thank goodness they had some pizza tonight. Hey, I love this town. I'm going to be hiking Camelback Mountain tomorrow. So I'm, oh, right. I'm very excited. Yeah. We, we set you up. You guys are staying for the weekend yeah, with, uh, we're, we're for, good. with us because we've got to go. You know, we're driving the RV tomorrow to Houston. Yeah. You have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I just ask everybody here a favor? Please don't tell me it's a dry heat, okay? I've heard that so many times. I love the weather. It's hot here, yeah, but it's a dry heat. Okay. Just wait till Sunday, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's when the vultures come out, right? <laughs> Alan, what the heck have you been doing, man? Uh, I uh, transitioned about a year and a half ago to the team that owns the infrastructure under Microsoft's online services. So Windows Azure, BPOS. Uh, Windows Intune, which shipped this week in beta. Intune? Uh, Intune. All right. It allows you to, over the web, manage a network, an internal network of computers. Uh, Weird. We do the uh, billing, provisioning, support, all the underlying infrastructure. So device. rumor has it you're like the only person on the planet that knows how much Azure costs. <laughs> <laughs> He's got in the decoder case, ring with him right now. <laughs> in which case, uh, there may not be anyone on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I, 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 honestly, they've, they, they, they have a uh, fairly complex uh, pricing model. Yeah, no kidding. So since you brought up Azure, let's talk about Amazon. <laughs> So somebody told me, uh, our ride-along for uh, Tuesday told me that uh, there's, Amazon has a service where you can spin up a virtual PC, like a virtual server or a virtual PC, a full OS with remote desktop, and it's like 46 cents um, an hour or some minute or something like that. An hour? An hour? I think it's an hour. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that to me is simple. I can understand that. Yeah, Azure is actually uh, solving a different problem than that. Think of that as a virtual machine, as you said, is what Amazon supports. Mm. What Azure is is really a platform as a service. So it's an underlying platform that you can build your applications on that will automatically handle scaling for you. And it's it's really all about server applications, really. Correct. Yeah. So, for instance, if since we're always talking about pizza, mm-hmm. uh, Super Bowl Sunday... If you build your application on top of Azure and suddenly you get a big spike right at the end of the uh, second quarter mm-hmm. on the Super Bowl, Azure will actually go ahead and be able to fan that out among multiple servers for you without you doing the additional work. So you get a blue screen on every server? Every server, <laughs> baby. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's only your uh, code, Carl. The guys, I'm sorry, I'm the guys on the Azure team are just going to be there's, so pleased. It's just, it's, it's impossible because there's no screen on Azure. So, come on. It's, it's a, just an ACK on all Yeah, it's just an ACK. It just locks up. That's all. Diane, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but the, 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 what you're describing there is automatic scaling. It's something, yes. something near and dear to my heart. But is it actually automatic? Or has there got to be somebody there who goes, wow, these servers are really busy. Let's light some more. So basically the way it works is you've got a uh, configuration setting that you just set and move it up. And I believe there are, uh, there are coming some uh, applications that will monitor that and be able to do it for you. Yeah, in theory, this is automatable. The yeah. question is, what are you measuring to determine that a machine is busy? 
You know, this is a, a line from talks I've done before. It's like, there's not like a little sign pops out of my server that says, help me. It doesn't work that way. How do you You've determine? You've got the wrong servers. Yeah, then. I guess so. Right? I, I want to know what, what it means to be a busy server in an Azure world. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it, you can look at some of the normal things. Um, uh, things like uh, CPU usage and mm -hmm. things of that sort. Uh, you can look at uh, the amount of threads you're spinning up. Right. And basically, the other thing that you can do is actually have it scale across different data centers as well. Right, so and you can actually pick the region as well. For yep. every instance, you can pick where yep. it should be. I actually I did a DNR TV with Colin Melia on mm -hmm. this, uh, and it should be up probably now, by now, at dnrtv.com. And I was really impressed. I mean, you know, kidding aside, I was really, really impressed with how easy it is. It's like a server wizard. And you've so, got IT at your fingertips. And I guess the, the, the stuff that's really impressive is how automated everything is that would generally take an IT guy running around and doing stuff manually. And that's just all automated. Yeah. And, and because the, the, uh, API kind of leads you into the right patterns for doing these types mm. of applications, that's also a big part of it. One of the things that we've seen, because obviously, uh, when you're, you, when you're creating a billing system for Microsoft, for all the online services, you're dealing with, you know, hundreds of millions of subscriptions. Yeah. You know, hundreds of thousands of bills a day, et cetera. And we're actually moving pieces of that onto Azure as we speak. And one of the things we've just been blown away by is the scalability with very simple design patterns which means the flexibility of adding new capabilities is just unparalleled. And, and you know, now you're hinting at you're, uh, something that I remember very distinctly Ray Ozzy saying at PDC two PDCs ago, I think, where he said the whole point of Azure was we're duplicating all this infrastructure internally to Microsoft, and that's kind of dumb. So to be actually consolidating the billing services of all these different lines of business that Microsoft's in into one system and doing it on Azure, that to me is very encouraging. I like it yep. when you guys actually eat your own products. Yeah, I mean, if, if nothing else, not having to go to one of the corporate presidents and ask for yet another SAM is well worth <laughs> the time. <laughs> yeah, we just spin it up as we need it, and you don't have to ask again. Right. Right. Well, Beth, how about you? What if what's uh, tickling your fancy these days? Yeah. So Alan gets to work on these cool internal billing systems, and I get to work on the team that does a lot of the tools inside of Visual Studio. So yeah. um, I'm still on the developer side of the house. I'm an online community. I help run a couple dev centers on MSDN, and um, I love it. I'm. This is the time of year where I get really, really busy because yeah. um, it's it's not just about like preparing for launch and and getting our product out the door. It's like you know getting people to you. Know, know use it and learn it so um, which is what I love to do so a lot of the tools we build um, uh, I work on a team called BizApps inside of Visual Studio and we build the tools for SharePoint office and a lot of the data tools inside of VS so um, there's languages team and then there's the tools team so I get to stick on and there are so team. many tools inside Visual Studio absolutely of, yeah so we focus on stuff. business applications so yeah and that's why I've gotten so close to SharePoint and office we work mm. very closely with them and and that's that's actually difficult because we're on different ship schedules, right? So, like, we were actually very close this time. You know, Office and SharePoint just released, and so did Visual Studio. So we were, like, very close, right? So thank God. You know, like, yeah. we released Visual Studio, like, okay, you could build an Office 2010 project 
in a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> so, which is really cool. But, it, you know, what scares me in that scenario is have you actually got the new, uh, the new version of studio, which just shipped and you, you know, is it actually working with SharePoint 2010? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you have actually, yeah. you guys were actually making this thing work together with the Absolutely. From candidates. the, from the start, we work hand in hand with the SharePoint team, with the office team. And, and so our tools teams are working on builds constantly together. And is there really such a thing as an office developer? Really? <laughs> Because they've been, they've been since '95, right? We kept being told, "Oh no, no, there's office developers," and I'm yeah. like, well, "Okay, it's they're, they're like they're like ET." The there problem is, is yeah. Richard, we never get to meet them because they're always tucked away in their cubicles working. You know, I have to say, it is interesting working on you know working on the team and getting really close to office this year um, to find developers. Like t- typically, you know, you go to your .NET user groups. Right. You know, I've been I've been a .NET developer for you know since the beginning, right? Sure. And, you Since know, you were a Fox person. <laughs> I was a Foxborough person, and I saw the light and moved to VB.net. So, you know, um, the, you know you the know. difference between a Foxborough <laughs> developer and a pepperoni pizza is? Pepperoni pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to usually purchase it, you go through a point-of-sale system written in Foxborough. So, so anyway. Alan, all of a sudden, my blue screen comment seems pretty tame, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so working close to office, it's always been interesting because I, I find, you know, where are these office developers, like you say? Yeah. Where are they? Because they're, they're not your traditional .NET developers. They're not. Um, you know, they, they are, you know, my mother and father and people that, you know, really aren't programmers as their primary job. Right. And so we consider them, you know, developers, though. Those VBA developers, they have a lot of freaking code out there, and so we need to interrupt with it. Do we still call it VSTO, or is it all just Visual Studio Techni- office I do. I mean, the Dev Center is named msdn.com slash VSTO. So yeah. yes, it, it's it's a legacy kind of name because it used to be separate extensions that you would load into Visual Studio. Um, uh, but starting with 2008, they were completely baked in. Um, so starting in Orcus and you know 2010, we have 2010 support plus 64-bit support because yeah. Office is 64-bit capable now, right? Yeah. So, so even though Visual Studio is a 32-bit process, we have our extensions are loaded as a 64-bit process. So you can still use any Office application as your user interface for .NET applications Absolutely, and all that. Absolutely, right, yeah. So you're writing customizations against yeah. you know, Office. You're writing add-ins or you're writing document-level customizations. Can we, we can call services and all that kind of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, you do anything you do in .NET, you can do you, know, you do it in, in VSTO or in... Silverlight in Excel, is that you, possible? You could do Silver... I, I have a, an MVP, a VS2 MVP, who has got Silverlight as the homepage of the Outlook you know, today page. I actually introduced him to Tim. Uh, yeah, Helmut. Tim's nodding <laughs> Very his head. interesting guy. <laughs> yeah, it actually, I mean, it's, uh, it poses some interesting challenges uh, in order to do that because of how, um, how Office is hosted on, depending, you know, if you're on 64-bit and you're doing certain things web, it's going to use 64-bit native, which Silverlight doesn't yet support. And so there's, which is actually what Helmut ran into. Right. And uh, so there's some things you have to work around. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could, you could build a, um, uh, you know, a sidebar in, in any Office application that is actually a Silverlight application mm-hmm. and, and interact with the data. Um, you can build, now with Silverlight 4, you can build a Silverlight application that uses automation for Office and interact with that as well. So well, WPF, though, I mean, makes perfect sense to put inside an Office application, sure. and that's a no-brainer sure. whatsoever, right? You know, but the, the hard part about the Office development, we find, is the comm side, is the Office object model. It's not hard to get started, you know, file new project in Visual Studio. It's like, okay, now what? i got to write against the Office object model. That's the harder part. Well, and it's interesting you bring up WPF because... I would have thought Office would have been built with WPF a while ago. It's been out for some time. And, and for me, 
for years and years and years, Office led the way in UI design. You know, how many, for years in, in the pre.NET world, you had your boss coming to you going, why doesn't my app look like the new version of Office? Like, Dude, we barely got Visual Studio on WPF. I'm, I'm Give totally, us a break. I'm with you, which is disturbing to me in the sense that, you know, WPF shipped three years ago. And now we're finally... Yeah, but Office shipped, what, 25 years Office ago? Office is so. a big program, Richard. It's big. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. It's just a recognition that, that we need to move this stuff forward. Like, we'll believe in WPF when you guys believe in WPF. Ooh. Ooh. We'll start with Visual Studio. Well, we also have all the My expression products. Are also right. expression? So innocent. Call, right? It's way back there. Oh, yeah. So, speaking of 64-bit Office... Does has anybody ever written a Word doc that consumes more than four gigs of RAM? <laughs> and if they I'm have, not aware of one. is that know. a good idea? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Should we talk about refactoring? <laughs> Maybe Excel. Excel. And, and what, probably what is that? Embedded bigger. videos yeah. in your I've Word seen, doc? I've yeah. seen PowerPoints that have grown. <laughs> PowerPoints. PowerPoints. We've gotten it. Because he's a manager. <laughs> we moved our SQL Server database to Excel because it supports more RAM. And Excel does have does have better you know memory management capabilities now. But you know, yeah. So Excel, you can think of more. I typically do see customers with Excel applications that are that yeah. huge. I guess what I'm getting at is there had to be another reason to move Office to to 64-bit. Was there? Uh, I'm I'm not on the Office team directly, yeah. so I'm not really sure. I'm sure it was performance. Yeah. 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 But okay. yeah, but is that a myth? Yeah. I th- I would think if you wanted to be performant, you'd stay 32-bit. Well, I mean, I, okay. yeah, there is there is there this is myth, a, right, that 64-bit yeah. is like twice as much. Mysteriously, it's twice yeah. as better, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, and we did the show a while ago, which I know I brought up before, with Rico Mariani, who's one of the architects for Studio. Right. Yeah. And this whole conversation of you know why isn't Studio 64-bit? He cut right to the chase. He said, mm-hmm. "You don't actually want Studio 64-bit. You want Studio to be fast." And there's this belief that if you made it 64-bit, it would be fast. And I'm here to tell you. It's simply not true. And we're going to, so instead of us spending our cycles making it run in 64 bit, we're going to go spend our cycles making it go faster. And because that's actually what people want. And I, I think that's, you know, you get back to this myth of all that really happens when you go 64 bit is you can address a lot more memory and you do it, the old chunk of memory a little more inefficiently because you have bigger pointers and, and so on. It's not really a reward. So it is a good question. Why did Office go to this trouble to go 64-bit? And near as I can tell, and I'm plain old guessing because I'm totally on the outside. We don't expect you to have the answer. Well, I'm thinking Excel probably was the big driver for that. Yeah, I think so. But also I think it was simply a demand for it. Right. That eventually you just have to give in. Customers want this, even if it's irrational. Okay, here you go. Well, well, customers want DNR TV on their iPhone, too. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, a moment's thought will just tell you how ridiculous that idea really is. They want it on their iPhone so they can watch it while they're driving to work. Yes, like this. I, now they're going to complain they can't read the code, right? And it's like, oh, can you make the font bigger? I'm watching it on iPhone. On it's like, God, Lord. Yeah, we have that problem on MSN and Channel 9, too. A lot of folks want to, like, because we get Zoom downloads, you know? Right. And, yeah, I do a lot of the demos with the code, and you can't read the code. I'm like, yeah, you need a bigger res, dude. Yeah, of course. <laughs> bigger Zoom. Bigger Zoom. Yeah, get a big Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Is that a Zoom pad? Is that what that is? <laughs> okay. I wasn't going to say it. I knew you would. Zoom <laughs> I was going to say, I, forget the TV. Just start selling 40-inch uh, Zooms. Yeah, there you go. 40-inch. Stick this in your pocket. Uh, Tim, we didn't actually ask you this question, but I, I don't know most people know. Are you actually on the Silverlight team? Like, where do you live? 
I am currently living here in Arizona, but I, I am uh, going to be moving up to, to Redmond. I am on the, the I'm a program manager on Silverlight Engineering. Okay, team. so it is a Silverlight yep. team because you're in our slide deck. I don't know if you know this. Ooh, yeah, you you're actually there. Well, talking about you worked on the Channel Nine uh, media control player, didn't you? Yes, Silverlight media player. Yeah, they are using a derivative. I mean, they they've customized it, but okay. the base that they're currently using is is one that um, actually Joel Newbeck, who's an MVP here in uh, Arizona as well, mm -hmm. um, and I contributed to Codeblex. Yep, you're in my slide deck. Awesome. Do yeah. I get a mug? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> At least we could do, really, actually. So, and and you, it seems like you and Beth have very complimentary jobs in the sense that you create a, aren't you involved in creating a fair bit of stuff to help people use Silverlight successfully? Yeah, a primary part of my responsibility still on the engineering team is is a community PM uh, like Beth and engaging with customers and, and broad set of developers to understand, you know, the challenges in the products and how we can bring a broader set of feedback to the product teams and create learning content. You know, a lot of people, you know, you have this great product and how do, how do people use it? And without somebody telling you, um, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to get around things. So that's a, still a big part of my job is to do a lot of app building and, and uh, demonstrations. Well, and, and I've learned from watching Carl's presentation several times now that, that there's these great galleries of Silverlight projects out there that are freely downloadable. And, and some of them, I think, created by your team and, and some of them created by the, by the community itself. Yeah, there is. There's a, um, you know, on, on MSDN and all the, what we call the star.net sites, silverlight.net, ASP.net, mm -hmm. um, there's a, a wealth of community contributions that are out there in both just sample, you know, what, what most might consider throwaways and might be throwaway applications, right. but there's a lot of extractions you can get out of those to be, you know, that someone might not cons not realize, oh, I actually do need that, that image parser. I'm gonna, yep. I don't need the app, but I just need that little chunk and, and yank that Lots out. Lots of silverlighty goodness. Silverlight Goodness, yeah, yeah, lots and lots of it. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you the new TFS Work Item Manager and TFS Project Dashboard. So if you're spending a lot of time on organizing the cluttered pile of work items in TFS, get ready for a fresh and intuitive experience. The guys at Telerik just launched the TFS Work Item Manager and Project Dashboard, a couple of free tools designed to make working with Team Foundation Server faster and easier. Unlike the standard TFS Explorer, the Work Item Manager lets you take advantage of powerful capabilities like filtering, as-you-type search, grouping and aggregation, and iteration scheduling. You can even see all the work items in a Scrum dashboard view, as if watching the whiteboard in your own room. Project Dashboard is a unique tool for visualizing TFS data. Useful for both developers and project managers, it helps you keep track of the latest TFS project activity like current iteration progress, build history, recent check-ins, assigned tasks, and bug history, and to understand the health of the project as a whole. The TFS tools are brought to you by Telerik and Imaginet, the experts in application lifecycle management. Built with RAD controls for WPF, they're both amazingly flexible and responsive. Go to Telerik.com and download the TFS tools for free. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So what are some of the what are some of the coolest things that you've seen or your favorite things about Silverlight 4? Well, I I found it interesting yesterday I was I was realizing that on my desktop I now have 3 Silverlight applications installed on my desktop that are what we call trusted applications in right. Silverlight 4. So just uh today actually this morning eBay uh released their what they call the Simple Lister, which is a Silverlight 4 trusted application so you can yeah. it's kind of like a, a you know less than two minute process to, to listen it has barcode scanning and things mm -hmm. like that um seismic is releasing a, a new 
uh, social media platform that's built on top of Silverlight. And then we yeah. have the, the Facebook client as well. That's one. Yeah, um, so the these Facebook are, client blows the regular web client away. Yeah, exactly. Just, and these are three really good applications that demonstrate really the extent of what Silverlight as a platform can do for, for desktop applications as well. Um, one of the one of the coolest features that, I'll, and I'll be demonstrating this, is the webcam support or just recording audio and video. And it, you know, since it's very easy, it's a couple lines of code just to pull a frame out of the buffer, and another line of code to put it in the buffer. It seems like you know, um, vir- you know, virtualized conference calling or whatever is is really just right on the horizon. Somebody's going to do that. Have you guys seen any demos that do that yet? It is. I mean, I think that's still probably one of the biggest pieces of feedback about the webcam feature is the ability to do real-time communication. At least. Right. That's what kind of we call it. Um, and, you know, how can I, how can you and I start a peer chat, you know, video conference, basically? Right. We have, I think we have a lot of work to do because right now, um, as you know, and I'm sure you might talk about that we have, we enable raw access, right? Right. Which, which sounds cool. It is cool. But it's it gives bitmaps. You, but it, and it also, Uncompressed. You know, two, two minutes of, of raw video is, uh, a lot of data. Quite a lot of space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Especially if you have an HD cam and all sorts of stuff. So there's two things you need. You need a codec to compress that, and then you need a, well, the transport could obviously be easily be WCF. Yeah, right? WCF. I mean, you could do it today, but again, yeah. that's a lot of, of chunking that you'll have to do across the wire, and, and you wouldn't have, you know, I, I wouldn't call it real time, and your latency at right. best is probably five seconds. Or so H264 uh, codecs? In, in Silverlight, or do they, is, do we have access to that level of? For encoding, we don't. And that's the, that's the biggest feature request right now is I want to be able to capture the webcam and output an MP4 or WMP or whatever. We need, we need, you know, software encoders. A a simple stream would be great. Exactly. And I think, um, I, I think we'll get there. But we have such a great partner ecosystem as well. Yeah, I, I believe I believe someone very soon will beat Microsoft to the punch. I totally I totally agree, and I don't know if you know. He's probably like smiling, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I don't know. I don't know who it would be. But uh, I, I gotta believe that that's the case also. Well, and we saw the same thing with that 3D library that's on Coplex. It, you know, no 3D support in Silverlight, and then some guy went and built it for you. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, an augmented reality as well. Right. Yeah, that's that's these how crazy I end. Europeans come up with all the cool. That's ideas. how I end the show. Actually, you'll like. That. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so, just changing gears on the Silverlight side, I don't want to make this all a Silverlight conversation because, but I'm thinking more on the CRUD app side. That now that it's out of the browser and we have all these capabilities, it seems like it's the new client development technology. No matter what you're doing, that regular, you know, good old fashioned fill in this form kind of app should be built this way. I think it's still, you know, I'll put on my consultant hat and say the good answer is still it depends on what you're doing. Right. There's there's a lot that's, you know, so I, I generalize and call it XAML development, right? right. So if you want I, that. I, I'd love to use that term. I just don't think enough people are comfortable with it yet. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, mixing WPF and Silverlight to be yeah, able to say it's XAML. Yeah, so for people who are listening, like, get comfortable with it, yeah. right? I mean, the convergence is coming, right? There will be one XAML platform. Yeah. We don't know when. Uh, we don't know what it will, will be called, but, you know, if you're not doing XAML development, you should start. But yeah, this is a conversation we had with Scott Grothy maybe six or eight months ago where he said, so is it just going to be one team eventually? Because you see this, Silverlight did a bunch of stuff that I got backported to WPF, and WPF did a new release, and Silverlight put it forward. Like eventually, it's like, well, what are we doing? This should just be one group of people, right? And and eventually, you know, we're starting that the, those thought processes now mm-hmm. of how that's going to work. And like you said, we're you know we're taking things that from WPF. WPF is taking things uh, from Silverlight as well. And now, at, let's add to the mix uh, Windows Phone Seven, is right. Yeah. And in fact, in Windows Phone Seven, the Silverlight engine that's there has like super powerful graphic capabilities. Yeah. 
that the desktop version doesn't, and, right. and we're going to be taking those that effort back into the desktop. And right? there's always going to be APIs that are available on one because they're specific to that platform. Right. It's, the, it's the place where they can converge that that seems like they should. Exactly. So so let's get back to Alan. What, what else have you been uh, working on these days that you're excited about? Uh, well, the... Uh a large part of my time recently, we actually just shipped a new release uh, last week ourselves. We enabled 22 new countries for uh, our platform, which means for BPAS, which is a combination of Exchange Online, SharePoint Online, Live Meeting, and Office Communication Server. Yeah. Quick advertisement, $10 a month per person. <laughs> Pretty wow. good. Wait till he was a billion guy. He knows the price and everything. Well, you know, I I get excited about it because we've known each other for a long time, right? I used to have a consulting company, and I remember when we grew to about nine people, and we were running Lantastic in those days. You guys remember that? And InvisibleNet and all that. And we finally hit the point where we were like, you know, we're growing enough that we might have to hire our first network administrator Mm. and put in Novell. Right. And we agonized oh, over it. The bindery. Right. I had exactly. nightmares about we, the bindery. We, we were like, we're a consulting company, so everyone was billable. And we were making the decision to hire the first non-billable billable person guy, yeah. and to spend money on servers. And we actually called everyone into a room and said, we think it's time, but here's how it's going to affect everyone's bonus this year. What do you guys think? Hmm. And everyone agreed that we should do it. And we hired this guy named Pablo, who is Looney Tunes, but a great network administrator, <laughs> as most great network administrators are looking at Richard. And, and, uh, and well, I had to get him for that Fox joke. So, so, you know, and we did that. And now I look at what's what we offer for $10 a person. Yeah, it's crazy. Having, you know, SharePoint, which you can use and uh, exchange and everything without having to worry about it, worrying about SOX compliance, etc. Well, and, and I don't want you to breeze past OCS on this because when I put my net admin hat, which unfortunately I can wear, this whole concept that you guys inside of Microsoft take for granted because you're the ones I think have actually implemented successfully yep. of constant presence yep. that my out, when I'm using Outlook with, the, with OCS enabled, I'm writing you an email, and I can actually tell you're online right now. Why am I writing this email when I can pick up the phone or I am you? Right. And it treats it all as the same thing. So two weeks ago, I was in Europe, and I still had meetings to do back in the States. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I came back from Europe, and my AT&T cell phone bill was not in the thousands of dollars. <laughs> because I just had my laptop, and I have my headset. And thanks to presence and thanks to live meeting, I was there. They were running cameras. We could all see each other. Mm-hmm. It was just, and it's just part of the natural work behavior. Well, you know what's interesting about this lineup here, my friend, which won't be apparent to either the listeners or, or the audience. We are looking at three remote employees of Microsoft all at once, which is very unusual because Microsoft generally insists that everybody's in Redmond, but you two are in the Bay Area and, mm-hmm. and you're here in, in, in Phoenix. So, I mean, OCS has got to be a godsend for all of you, right? I, for me, it is. And I'll, I'll tell you what's what's hilarious is, and I'm sure you guys can relate this too, when you have meetings with people in corporate, like mm-hmm. the first 10 meeting, ten minutes are usually like someone on that end fumbling with live meeting and trying to figure out how right. it always, works, right? Always, always, yeah. yeah. And, you're, and you're scratching your head going, you know, and inevitably the comment comes out like, oh, the software is a piece of crap. It doesn't work, you know, and you're like, 
come on. You know, I'm, I have a unified communication phone at my house that's running on, you know, whatever, my Quest DSL line. Right. That I have a 425 number. I have presence. You know, I have everything, live meeting, webcam. You know, everything's working perfectly as a mobile employee. I mean, the, I, I really never thought that we'd get to the day of you could really have this this global workforce but you know I, I feel like I'm a part of it it can work um, I wish more people in in the towers at Microsoft would use the products daily and they, it's you know, kind of a cultural shift for yeah. them I right. think I've been working from home I don't know about you but we've been working from home for more than 10 years mm-hmm. so it's and not just Microsoft I've only been there for three so it, it's always a cultural shift whatever company I go into you know I usually was consulting or right, and then I get hired in but I'm still remote they have to figure out how to talk to me. How to right? be connected to, with you. No matter how, what the technology is, whether it was net meeting back then before live meeting, right? We still have the ability to do this stuff. It's, it comes down to people just not noticing you because you're not physically in the room. Yeah. They you actually know, so, count on the water cooler is still a necessary part of the process. Right. So what's really cool about Outlook 2010, which I love, is that you see people's pictures right on the email. You can see any unrelated conversation right below. You can mm-hmm. see Twitter feeds, Facebook. Everything, everything is like right there in Outlook. And that actually like makes not only me, like I actually can see your face now instead of just reading your name all the time, but it connects them too, you know? So I think it'll slowly happen that, you know, everything's kind of having this online social thing, media thing. It actually happens at large enterprises too. This is like online social media just within your enterprise that people have to get used to just using it and and interacting with it. My my favorite uh, story was... The number of times Beth goes up to Redmond and someone says, yeah, I saw you last week. Yeah, I see you in the hallway all the time. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> cool. Wow. Are you are you ha- stalking in my house? What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. Are you sure that wasn't the Outlook 2010 build 1473? <laughs> so, so being able to, you know, make that affordable to anyone is is just an amazing thing and and our division the uh 1200 or so people in our division we actually run bpaws we're not on corpnet right we actually are you're consuming eating our your own product. dog food yeah, right you're consuming your product and and what's cool about it is that the the directory syncs with the corporate active directory so i can still set up calendar meetings um, federate the office communication services, etc. Just briefly tell us what BPAS is for those. B- BPAS is a uh, is a product called Business on. Uh, it's the Business Professional Online Services. So basically, it's the combination. Think of it as the office type suite of Exchange Online, SharePoint Online, Office Communication Server, and Live Meeting. So that's the product that you can get for ten bucks a month. And yeah, and it's a horrible thing for me to dive into the IT side of things. But what you're basically describing is sort of federated domains. Yeah. So your group is running in its own domain, isolated from Corp, and then you're federating to Corp so that Correct. you can see each other's data. Back Correct. And and for some of our larger customers, where they want to do tests, mm-hmm. this is part of the test, right? They may have 20 people first and do it, and then they move, may move over a division of a few thousand people right. as they move everything over there. And it's it's really, you know, quite quite an amazing thing. It, it enabled us to get onto Exchange 2010 early and uh, SharePoint 2010 early for our customers. They get to keep up with the latest thing without having to go through all the extra work that's involved. In updating servers, etc., mm. and uh, 
for me, part of what I love about the job to get back to the cool thing about the 22 countries mm. is it's, it's a pretty rare job where you have a really heavily focused business requirement as well as technical. So we're building one of the largest billing systems, for instance, in the world, right? On top of Azure, lots of great technical stuff going on. Yeah. But at the same time, we've got to handle the tax and trade rules, etc., of every country on the planet, right? Wow. There's a lot of business and legal and all of that going on, too. So, you know, how can you not have a blast doing that's, that every day? That's a huge middle layer. Right. And, and we ship at web time. So yeah. every month, new release. So guys, what, let's get, for those who missed the launch events or wasn't around to see, you know, what's, what's going on with Visual Studio 2010, what's in the box for developers this time that's absolutely drop dead awesome? SharePoint 2010 tooling support. <laughs> okay. Now why? Um, SharePoint. We have like over 100 million licenses of SharePoint in the world. And we figure we have about a million SharePoint developers. Okay. Um, so uh, to those SharePoint developers, building on top of SharePoint 2007 is... Um, Slightly painful. Yeah, I was thinking, you've got a million unhappy people? <laughs> we have a million happily unhappy people. Yeah, I guess. You're, yeah. So you're talking about writing custom code that's going to work yeah, in SharePoint. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. SharePoint out of the box is incredible right. for end users, right? I'm an end user of SharePoint every day, right? right? You know, this part of SharePoint Online, you know, you can customize, you create your own sites, you know, basically it allows all kinds of cool stuff that you just collaborate. It's not just about document, you know, collaboration. It's about, you know, wikis and calendars and it's social yeah. connectors, right? You know, so, so for those people, there's no e editing crazy XML files anymore. And right, well, right. And SharePoint Designer is actually really pretty full featured. And you know, and and for the business kind of analysts, you know, you have Visio. They can create their workflows mm. in Visio, yeah. and you know, you can create declarative workflows in SharePoint Designer, that sort of thing. But what people really want to do is they want to take SharePoint. They don't want to have that, you know, like welcome to Team Site. You know, they right. they want it to look like you know Alaska Airlines or whatever. Yeah. You know, they want it to look like a real website. They want to use Silverlight inside of mm. SharePoint. They want mm. to create these web parts that are very compelling visually and and connect to other data. They want to connect to SAP to, or you know Oracle to other SQL Server line of business systems and pull that into SharePoint. So um, in 2010, there's a ton of st new features around all of that. And to, to be able to like light all that up, especially for a Visual Studio developer, yeah. you had to get those tools inside of Visual Studio. Yeah. I mean, just like we had the client tools in 2008, we've rounded that out with all of the server tools too. So, awesome. you know, we, we've got a ton of support for, for SharePoint 2010. So that's what I'm personally excited about. Any SharePoint Added developers no here? <laughs> all yeah? right. All right. So you happy about this? Yeah. yeah. Hands are up. Cool. I'm, awesome. I hope you guys were at the launch event yesterday. I kind of went through some of that. All right, cool. Cool. And Tim, of course, Silverlight 4 shipped. Yes, last week, Silverlight 4 shipped. Unfortunately, so, we were not inbox in Right. But that's, we, had, we understand why. You know, you guys are, I presuming Silverlight 5 ships next month. That's right, right yeah. It's busy. <laughs> <laughs> Sign off this weekend, I think, actually. Yeah. <laughs> How long is it? It's been less, is it been 24 months? It's been about, just, just under three years. Just, just a little bit under so three yeah, years. Yeah, but more like 30, 32 months. Yeah, about that, like. yeah. Four releases. It's unbelievable, there. really. It is a, it is a wicked pace. Yeah. We're all in pain, right? But good pain. Yeah. But it's free, it's good, quite terrifying for us. Thanks. I think it's, you know, 
at least in my experience at Microsoft, I've not seen a product that has moved at this quick of a pace. Mm-hmm. It really is, I think, unprecedented. Well, and I think and in a lot of ways, it's what has made XAML a reality because we were languishing for a long time trying to figure out how we're going to do this thing. Right. Silverlight walked us into XAML bit by bit with each release in a very short amount of time. Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, having a, uh, the subset really helped with that, right? It wasn't just this, like, you know, ocean of of libraries and understanding things versus, you know, more of uh, a simpler way of understanding what XAML is, first of all, uh, the presentation framework, I guess, in general, mm. and, you know, and then understanding, uh, you know, how to connect that with, with .NET and being able to run, you know, pretty much anywhere with much more of a lightweight profile, I think was... And I understand that now you don't have to install three or four different uh, packages to get Silverlight 4 running in VS210. You consolidated that into one download? Yes, we did. So we, um, we basically have a, a tools package that builds on top of the tools team. Um, we call it the Silverlight tooling for Visual Studio. And yeah. actually, 2010 has Silverlight 3 tooling support right. built in. So if you're doing Silverlight 3 development, you're good. Yeah. Um, if you're doing Silverlight 4 development, you install something on top of it and you can actually multi-target, mm. um, which is good. But yes, we have one package. You install one package and it installs the SDK, the runtime, the tools, and WCF RIA services as right. well. The one thing it doesn't install yet still is the Silverlight Toolkit. Oh, okay. So that's let's talk about that. Yeah, the Silverlight Toolkit is um, uh, kind of a, you know, for lack of a better term, an out-of-band package that is uh, a set of controls that are, are not in the SDK, uh, but allow us a different different level of, of shipping. You know, we call things experimental, stable, you know, messing around with certain things. So it's basically kind of an idea uh, center for controls. Right now, at least, it's mostly controls. And it's on CodePlex. It's on CodePlex. Everything's uh, 100% open source using, you know, capital O, capital S, using the Microsoft yeah. public license. Um, and it's actually, for, and all our controls are, and it's a great, it's a great thing to extend, but it's also a great learning mechanism as well. You're creating controls, like, here's the code that we use to create button, you know, if you yeah. want to understand how that's created. But people really consider it part of Silverlight, though. I, I do, and that's yeah. kind of, you know, we're trying to rationalize that on the team, like, how do we, you know, there have been things that moved from the toolkit into the core, yeah. and that still will happen. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think... If you're a Silverlight developer, my guess is you you install the tools and you go and install the toolkit. I think it is considered an essential part of your tool belt. But according, I mean, under the licensing situation, you really couldn't put it in the box, could you? Like, it, it's an interesting line to dance. There. It is. You've got this open source project because there's a presumption if you put it in the box, you guys are supporting it at a certain level. The license rules, I think, are different, aren't they? You know, I and and that's certainly a finer line that that mm-hmm. I don't understand. But um, you know, we we actually have that question internally as well, right? So maybe maybe someone in SharePoint wants to build, you know, a new a new feature in SharePoint, mm-hmm. you know, 2011 or something, and they need a control that's in the toolkit. We get this all the time from our what we call our internal customers, right? right? Other teams that say. Hey, we, we want, we need this toolkit component. We noticed it's open source. What are the issues here? Right. And now we're okay with the, and actually there are a lot of products that use the, the toolkit internally because it is from, from our perspective, it is fully, you know, Microsoft intellectual property. We're, right. all, we're just providing an additional licensing model on top okay. of that. Now the yeah. shipping thing, I you know, I don't it's know. another thing again. And, and yeah. like I said, it's, it is sort of a stacked license. It is. You're yeah. adding another license onto it. As long as it's like that, it's not that, it's big a deal. Not that I'm you know all in legal either, but we get caught up in these things. It it, we do, an and, it, and I think I think the open source license is probably one of the preventative measures from you know from uh, putting it in 
uh, a mixed license bag, I guess right. is so you can speak. You know, because you need to present the the EULA to the users. If you're you know, under a regulatory agency, you need to understand what you're installing. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the controls in the toolkit that uh, that people can't live without? Because there's some really th- good things in there. Yeah, the, the two things that just got moved into the core were Viewbox and Wrap Panel were two of the most popular ones. Mm. Um, but uh, some of the other ones are well. First of all, I think the most popular is charting. So yeah. we, we provide charting, um, you know, various levels of charting, high quality charting that yeah. are completely stylable, um, with source too, and completely free. Mm. Uh, I think from a line of business standpoint, that's probably the number one area that people are consuming. Um, like eBay actually for their app that, that they just released, they're using, uh, the expander, um, and they're using Viewbox, which is, which is now part of it. But there's also like the autocomplete, um, mm-hmm. text box, which is very popular. Um, and a, uh, a lot of other layout mechanisms as well. Very cool. Well, you think we're just about out of time here, so I'd like to thank our guests, Tim Hira, Beth Massey, and Alan Griver. Give them a big hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! Thank you. All right. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.